today and want to give a warm greeting to all you folks who are joining us online. What a great, great joy and privilege it is to have you worshiping with us wherever you might be. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and take it and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to scroll down to verse 7 because we're going to spend some time looking at verses 7 through 12 this morning. While you're turning there, I'm going to say a quick prayer, so if you can do both, I don't know. If you can, God will understand if you're turning your page of your Bible while you're praying at the same time, okay? So bow with me. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. And this morning, we thank you for the great privilege of worshiping, and we thank you that you're a good, good Father. We thank you for your great faithfulness to us in so many ways. And we thank you for our earthly fathers today. We celebrate and honor them. And Father, I pray for anybody who might hear, who be here today who has a, a hole in their heart, a longing in their heart with regard to their father, maybe because their father is uh, no longer with them here in this world today, maybe because that relationship was never what they hoped that it would be. I pray that you would fill that longing and that, that emptiness today with your presence and bring encouragement. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. In June of 1992... Jim Davidson and Mike Price climbed Mount Rainier. On the way down, the two climbers fell 80 feet through a snow bridge into a glacial crevasse, a pitch-black ice-walled crack in the massive glacier that covers Mount Rainier. And sadly, tragically, Mike Price died as a result of the fall. And in his book, The Ledge, Jim Davidson tells the story of his miraculous survival. Throughout the book, Jim reflects back to his childhood and his young adult years, and he describes his relationship with his dad. As early as Jim can remember, his father had shown what some considered to be an almost reckless amount of confidence in his son. Jim worked for his father painting high, steep-pitched roofs and electric towers and began working for him doing this at the age of 12. The work terrified Jim's mother, but his father kept telling him that he could accomplish great things if he could just overcome his fears and press on through adversity and never give up no matter what the circumstances. Jim writes that as he stood bloodied and bruised on a two-foot-wide snow ledge next to the body of his dead climbing partner, the one thing that he heard above all else going through his mind was the voice of his dad. And so with minimal gear and no experience in ice climbing at that level, Jim spent the next five hours climbing out, battling fatigue and battling the crumbling ice and snow that threatened to bury him. And in his book, Jim writes that throughout the ordeal, he kept remembering over and over again, he kept hearing over and over again in his mind the words of his father. And after five grueling hours, thanks to those words, he climbed out of that crevasse to safety. I've got a really simple but straightforward message this morning to all the fathers who are here. Your success as a dad is largely dependent upon the words that you speak. Now, Few fathers will ever have their words tested as dramatically as Jim Davidson's father. 
And for most of us, the test is going to come in small doses over long periods of time. But sooner or later, the power or the significance of the words that we speak into the lives of our children are going to be evident. I know some could argue this morning that it really doesn't matter what a father says. What matters the most is what a father does. And I wouldn't wouldn't argue that point with you. There's truth to that. But at the same time, I would simply remind you of the great power of words. Solomon, who is arguably the wisest man who ever lived, wrote in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 these words, the tongue has the power of life and death. I don't imagine anybody here would argue that truth today. The tongue has the power of life and death. And Solomon's words become especially true when they're applied to the relationship between fathers and their children. So we need to be thoughtful about the words that we speak. And with that in mind, we've got our Bibles open to second or excuse me, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. I'll tell you right from the beginning, this is not in any way, shape, or form a traditional Father's Day text. What Paul is doing is he's writing a letter to the believers in Thessalonica, and basically he's reminding them of the kind of relationship he had with them when he ministered to them. It's a reminder to them of the kind of life that he lived among them. But I think we can find a lot of application in this brief text related to fathers and the words that we speak to our children. And so if you've got your Bibles open there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me like we always do. In reverence and respect for God's Word, it's not a long passage of Scripture, but it's a powerful one for us today. And I'm going to begin by reading the latter part of verse 6 because verse 7 actually starts halfway through a sentence And I want us to flow into it. And so as we look at the latter part of verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes and says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so was God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know, now note this part, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always pray God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. It's easy to see how personal Paul's relationship was with these believers in Thessalonica. In verse 7, he says he was like a mother caring for her little children when he was among them. In verses 11 and 12, he talks about dealing with them as a father, and then he goes on to talk about encouraging and comforting and urging. So what I want to do is take a little bit of time to focus on Paul's description of himself as a father, a spiritual father to these believers and talk about the words that we speak to our children. And as I do, I want to mention two things in particular. If you're taking notes, write down next to number one, the context of our words. The context of our words. In other words, let's talk about where our words come from, the words that we speak to our children, where they come from. Everything Paul writes about in this passage, he writes about in the context of a relationship. And so as obvious as as it sounds, fathers need to remember that the words they speak to their children must come in the context of that relationship. And I'm going to use Paul's words in the text to describe what that relationship looks like. First of all, it looks like a relationship of love and affection. Write that down. 
It looks like a relationship of love and affection. Back in the very first part of verse 8, Paul makes a powerful statement. He writes and says, we loved you so much. Everything a father does for his children, including the words he speaks, must come from a relationship of love and affection. Now, having said that, I fully understand today that this doesn't come as naturally to some men or to some fathers as it does to others. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I don't care about that. Because if you're a dad this morning, if you're a father, speaking words to your children from a relationship of love and affection is more important than your emotional comfort zone. Let me give you a fundamental truth about life and about the family. I don't know that I can fully explain it. I certainly don't have the time to even try to fully explain it, but it is a truth. Listen to me. It is a truth that is above reproach. Fathers play a unique and a powerful role in the development of their children's self-esteem, behavior, choices, and relationships. There's no question about that. And so that means fathers must communicate love and affection to their children in order to help them make all of those choices that they need to make in life from a place of emotional health. A place of emotional health. This is true for both boys and girls, but I want you to listen to me if you're a father of girls. This is especially true for little girls. This is especially true for daughters. As more and more research confirms that a girl's or a woman's self-worth and self-esteem is commonly rooted to her experience and her relationship with her father. So fathers always need to remember the importance of speaking words into the lives of their children that come in the relationship of love and affection. And this is important regardless of their age. I know many of you here today have small children that are still at home. Many of you are like me and your children are grown and out of the home. But it doesn't matter. You're always a dad. And you always have this responsibility. When I was doing research for this this week, I ran across this essay that I thought was especially poignant. It was called simply, Always a Daughter. I'm just going to spend a minute and read it to you this morning. I spent last week at the beach in Florida relaxing with my family. The week was for eating fresh seafood, sitting by the beach with my nieces and sister, throwing the frisbee on occasion, and catching up with my dad and his new wife. My parents are divorced, and the process of their divorce took about nine years. I had an often erratic and intense and intensely negative feelings for and about my dad throughout my high school and college years. Those feelings have mellowed out, and as adults, we get along okay. We live 1,200 miles apart and don't see each other often, but I'm always glad to visit my dad when I can. This beach trip was his and his wife's initiative, and they provided a big place for their family and me and my siblings to meet up and spend some time together. But at the end of the week, my dad said something that left my mind quiet and full. At the end of a perfect day of hunting for seashells with the little girls, making a sleeping dragon sand sculpture, and laughing hard with my sisters and dad, we had to pack up the car and pass around goodbye hugs. My dad hugged me, and then he kissed me. His arms are still so strong and tight, no one's hugs feel like his. He told me again how thankful he was that we could be there, and he told me, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And I have to admit that after hearing those words from my dad, my 29-year-old self was filled. 
I think I can guess that my dad's been proud of me. I'm at least sure he's not disappointed in who I am or what I've done with my life. But hearing him say it to me, despite all of our past and its residue, despite my independence from him, despite my deeply affirming relationship with my own husband, it was like I needed nothing else in the entire world. If you're a dad, there's power in the words that you speak. And those words need to be spoken to your children in a relationship of love and affection. Second thing that I see here from Paul that describes what this relationship looks like is it looks like a transparent life. So we began with verse 8, the first part of verse 8, where Paul writes and says, we loved you so much. But then he goes on to say, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Our lives as well. I love this part of the text as it relates to being a father. I love the example that Paul gives of sharing the gospel with his children, but not doing it from an impersonal standpoint. Fathers need to find a way to open up their lives to their children so their children can see who you really are. Your children need to see you if you're a dad. They need to see your values. They need to see your struggles. They need to see your decisions. They need to see your mistakes. They need to see how you celebrate victories. They need to see how you handle defeats. They need to hear and see you pray through difficult situations and circumstances of life, and they need to hear you admit when you're wrong. They need to know who you are. If you're a father this morning, let me ask you this question. Regardless of the age of your children, whether they're very small and still in the home or whether they're grown and gone, if someone asks your children, what matters the most in life to your dad, what do you think they'd say? How would they answer that question? What matters the most in life to your dad? I've told you a little bit about my father over the years. My father died on Valentine's Day, 2015. He was my adopted father. I never knew my biological father. My mother and my biological father divorced when I was very young, and I have no memory of him. Anything I know about him comes from my older brother and my older sister. But my mother remarried, and her second husband adopted the three of us, which I thought was an incredible thing, and he's the only father that I ever knew, but I never really had much of a relationship with him. My mother and father divorced at the same time Sandy and I got married, which is over 35 years ago now. And after that, there was about 15 years where I didn't have any contact with my father at all, nothing at all, not a phone call, not a conversation, not a letter or note, nothing. And then one day I decided, you know what, I just don't want to get a phone call out of the blue one day telling me that my father has died, and then I look back with a lot of regret because I hadn't seen or talked to him in years. And so my dad was living in Springfield, Missouri at the time. I was living here in Indiana, and I reached out to him with the one thing in the whole world that we have in common, only one thing, and that is we both like to play golf. And so I arranged to drive to Springfield, meet my younger brother there, and we were going to spend a weekend playing golf with my dad and one of his friends. I got there early. My brother was driving in, and he was meeting us at the first golf course. And so I went to my dad's home, and we rode to the golf course together. And my dad started telling me a story when we were driving in the car. He was driving. I was in the passenger seat. I don't really remember the details of the story, but he got to a place where he's talking about how somebody was trying to get him to agree to do something. And he paused in the story, and he looked at me, and he said, well, you know how I am. And I thought to myself, no, I really don't. I don't know anything about you. I don't know how you think. I don't know how you make decisions. If somebody said, what would your dad do in this situation? I wouldn't have a clue how to answer that. 
I don't know anything about you. My children will never say that about me. And if you're a dad, your children should never, ever say that about you as well. They should know who you are. Even if it's painful to talk about at times, they should know about the reality of your life. The third thing I have written down here is this relationship between fathers and their children, this relationship that, that breeds words that are spoken into the lives of your children should look like hard work. In verse 9, Paul goes on to say, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. Remember, as Paul writes this, as a spiritual father to the believers in Thessalonica, Thessalonica he's talking about the example. And he said, you remember, you remember our toil and our hardship and how we worked night and day. Being a father, I can tell you, it brings a lot of blessing into your life, but it's a lot of work as well. It means it requires a lot of sacrifice. The Apostle Paul gives a great teaching in Ephesians about the family. It begins in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and it goes all the way down to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And what he does is he systematically talks about every role in the family. He begins with wives and says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he talks to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives with a sacrificial love. And he uses Jesus' willingness to die for the church as the example of that sacrifice. And then he tells children to obey their parents. And then in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, he turns his attention to parents. Because of the patriarchal nature of the Bible, it's written like this, fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The idea behind that word exasperate is to provoke. That's the way it reads in my NIV Bible, but the idea is to provoke. And we can provoke our children to a lot of things. We can provoke our children to anger. We can provoke our children to discouragement. We can provoke our children to anxiety. We can provoke our children to confusion. You can go on and on and on. He says, don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Listen, our children get angry and our children get, get discouraged and they get anxious and they get confused when they realize that we're not willing to make them a priority in our life. And so when Paul says, instead, bring them up, the implication is, fathers, you recognize your responsibility to be personally involved in leading your children, and you do that by making time for them. In an article in Christian Parenting Today, family therapist John Trent shared two letters given to him by a friend who just happened to be a third-grade teacher. They were part of an assignment her students completed. I'm going to put each one of the letters up on the screen, unedited for spelling, grammar, and punctuation because they came from just little girls. The first one reads like this, Dear Dad, I love it when you take me on dates. I like it when you play baseball with me, miniature golf with me, and watch movies with me. I really appreciate it. That was back when some genius decided we'd teach children to spell based on the way words sound. I'm a, I apologize if you're that genius. I like it when you tell jokes to me. I like it when you hug and kiss me. Daddy, I love you. The teacher said just four seats away from that first letter writer was another little girl who wrote this letter. Dear Daddy, I love you so much. When are you going to come see me again? I miss you very much. I love it when you take me to the pool. When am I going to spend the night at your house? Have you ever seen my house before? I want to see what your house looks like. Do you? When am I going to get to see you again? I love you, Daddy. One letter is from a child whose father knows the importance of making her a priority. The other is from a child whose father does not. The fourth thing I've got written down here related to what that relationship that 
breeds these words that we speak into the lives of our children looks like is it looks like it's real. It's, it looks real. That's the fourth thing. In verse 10, Paul goes on to say, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. In other words, Paul is reminding the believers in Thessalonica that when he was with them, he was real. He was genuine. He was authentic. Listen, if you're a father this morning, listen to me. The best words you're going to hear all day. You don't have to be perfect to be a good dad because none of us are. We fall short over and over again all the time. You don't have to be perfect to be a good dad, but you have to be real. You have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. This is true in every area of life, but this is especially true if you want your children to have a strong spiritual foundation in their lives because when your children get discouraged, when they hear you say one thing and they watch you live another thing. And if that's the reality in your home, if your children routinely hear you say one thing and watch you live another thing, then you're failing as a Christian father. The words you speak to your children need to come from a life that's real. Well, that's the context of our words. The other thing that Paul shares with us in this passage from 1 Thessalonians 2 is the shape of our words, or in other words, what our words look like, what kind of words we speak. We talked about where they come from, but now let's talk about the shape of those words. If you look back at verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And then notice what he says, Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He mentions three kinds of words. First, there's encouraging words. That's, that word encouraging comes from the Greek word parakaleo in the original language of the New Testament. If you've been a student of the Bible or you've been in church any length of time, then no doubt you've heard that before because that's a word that's used all throughout the New Testament. And truthfully, it's used in a variety of different settings and a variety of different contexts in the New Testament. So sometimes it's hard to get a precise definition. It really relates to the context. Literally, it means to call alongside, to call alongside. But it, as I said, it has many different applications in, in, in Scripture. And usually it's the application of being present. When we talk about encouraging somebody, being a parakaleo, an encourager, we, we, we usually think about somebody who comes alongside somebody else, who makes themselves present in the life of somebody who's struggling. But that fails to take into account the reality that it's also a word that means to call. It means to speak. It means to admonish. It means to encourage. There's words involved with being a parakaleo or an encourager. And so what that means is that fathers, if the word means to call alongside, fathers need to call out to their children. They need to speak to their children. They need to admonish their children. They need to exhort their children with regard to the way they live. On a practical level, they need to speak to them about life, explaining life and explaining relationships and explaining behavior and explaining the consequences of our behavior. On a spiritual level, it means teaching our children the truth of God's word. Listen to me. If you're a father, you are the most significant spiritual leader your children will ever have. You are the most influential pastor that your children will ever know in the truest sense of that word. 
We have such a tremendous staff here when it comes to our children's ministry and our student ministry, our middle school and high school kids. Our children's staff just led about 300 kids in a life-changing week at Camp Allendale. And uh, that was Chris Franklin, Tim Thompson, Mike Sheely and their staff. And then Mike Sheely, our middle school pastor, left this weekend with about 87th and 8th graders to CIY Mix. And our senior high pastor, Matt Pineda, is going to leave tomorrow morning with over 180 high school kids to CIY move. And, they, and I've told you repeatedly that these guys are significant because they can have a, they can make an eternal impact on the life of your children. I wish that you would get your children involved in these programs. You'd make that a priority in your, in your family and in your homes because of the difference these guys can make in the lives of your children. But no one will ever be more influential spiritually in the lives of your children than you if you're a dad. No one. The second thing Paul says about these words is that they're comforting. I don't think that requires a lot of explanation. We know what it means to comfort. We know what it means to speak words of comfort. There are times when our kids are going to need to be encouraged. Like we just talked about, there's times when they're going to need to be comforted, and there's times when they're going to need the urging that comes from us. We'll talk about that in a minute. What we need to do as fathers is pray that we'd have the wisdom to recognize those times. So encouraging, comforting, the third word is urging. And this is the strongest word of all three that Paul uses here. It has its roots in the same Greek word that is translated encouraging, but it's a much stronger word. It's a much stronger word. It's the reality of declaring or testifying to something that's true, but with a sense of urgency because it's not just about telling somebody something that's true. It's telling them what's true and then urging them to take action. There's a sense of urgency about this idea of urging our children Remember those words from Ephesians 6, 4. Paul said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. How do you do that? How do you bring up your children in the training and instruction of the Lord? You urge them. That means if you're a father, you don't have the luxury of being silent. You don't have the luxury of being passive when it comes to your children and their growth and their development as they face life and the reality of life. You need to take this role of urging them, teaching them, training them, directing them. Our children are always going to make decisions on their own in a lot of areas of life, but we can at least make sure that they don't make those decisions uninformed and without knowing our thoughts, without hearing from God. And this is the responsibility of a father. Your role, first and foremost, with your children is not to be their friend. They're going to have lots of friends in life. Your role is to guide them and to direct them and to urge them to the life, toward the life that God has called them to. I can't tell you, friends, how many times I've sat across my desk or I've sat across the table from heartbroken parents who were passive and silent as their children grew up and now were mourning the consequences their children were facing from bad choices. The Old Testament tells the story of a priest named Eli who served during the time of Samuel. He had two sons who were also priests, but they were terrible, terrible men. Everything we know about Eli from the scriptures is that he was a decent man who seemed to try to do what was right, but his sons were scoundrels. They were just, I can't even find the words that would be acceptable in church to describe their character. They had no regard for God. They had no regard for the things of God. The Bible literally says that. 1 Samuel 2.12 says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. And one day, God had enough. How many of you know that there's going to be a one day when God has enough for everything? How many of you know that's true? And we fool ourselves and deceive ourselves sometimes into believing that just because God doesn't act now or immediately when we disobey him, that he's not going to act at all. But one day, God has enough. 
And one day he had enough with this family. And so he told Eli that he was going to punish, or he told Samuel rather, that he was going to judge Eli's family, listen to this, forever. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13 says, For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sins he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Now, why? Why do you think Eli would fail in this role of being a father? Knowing what his sons were doing, but then being passive and silent and failing to speak into their lives and urge them to repentance. There's no way to know for sure. The only thing we know for sure is that he and his family paid a heavy, heavy price for that failure. And I'm going to tell you something. A father speaks, a wise father speaks words of encouragement and words of comfort, and he urges his children to a life that honors God. And along the way, he prays for the wisdom to know when each is needed. Well, Brian can come and we'll close. I was reading the story the other day about a, pra- a pastor in California who's having one of those evenings when everything was going wrong. He was home watching his two small children. His wife was away. He was trying to make dinner for them, and they were acting up, and so he gave each one of them a cup of hot chocolate, set them on the sofa, hoping that that would keep them quiet. But the little boy who was five years old was aggravating his sister and ultimately caused her to spill her hot chocolate all over herself, and she began screaming. At the same time, the phone rang, the doorbell rang. He tried to handle all of these at the same time. Probably not his best choice, but after dealing with both of those calls, he returned to the kitchen. He, he hollered at his son, who's named Timothy. He, 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 he put the crying girl in the bathtub, the crying boy in his bedroom, and exasperated. He said, I need a timeout. I need some separation. So he went in his room and shut the door. And then he writes, everything changed about 10 minutes later when he caught sight of a yellow piece of construction paper being slid under the door. And, and in the unsteady hand of a kindergarten, he found a message that, turned him around. It just simply said, from Timothy to dad, I still love you even when you're angry. Listen to me. Isn't that the way children are? Isn't it amazing that God has seemed to have built this emotional resilience into the hearts of our children to where they still love us even when we do things so poorly, even when we mess things up so badly at times, even when we react and we respond in ways that are harsh or not in keeping with who God has called us to be. Since that's the case, if you're a dad, why wouldn't you do everything possible? Why wouldn't I do everything possible to try to earn and deserve that kind of love? I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for a chance to talk about these things today. And I'm so 